Hello, and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Dave Johnson will bring a message of hope through our series, Core Values. We're excited to share another powerful episode with you today. And now, here's Pastor Dave. It's good to see you all this morning as we get back into our series. Today's the last day of our uh, series on our core values. And so, I've got just a really boring way to start that out. I'm going to go back over our core values, so uh, just so that we all know them. So number one is biblical authority. We've talked about this already, and this is what we have to say about biblical authority. The Bible is God's holy word. It's the highest source of written authority regarding God's plan for his people. It reveals how to live out of that plan individually, corporately. Beliefs, practices, and priorities in our mission are anchored in clear biblical teachings. This is super key. The very first thing that our board makes decisions on. Uh, you know, anything, like a lot of times we have to make decisions and we're like, well, is it biblical? Like that's the very first thing we do, we go back to that. Everything we teach from here, is, it shouldn't be my great ideas because my wife can tell you, I have some stupid ideas. <laughs> it's not my great ideas. Everything that we teach is straight out of Scripture. Because this is where life is. I love that verse from Matthew, or I'm sorry, from the book of John, chapter six, where the disciples are deserting Jesus because he talked about, he was talking about communion. He said, You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people were really concerned about this. They were like, What is he talking about? But really, it's what we know today is communion and all that. And, and that's a different sermon for a different day. But the people are just leaving Jesus. And he looks over at Peter and says, aren't you going to leave too? And Peter says, well, where should I go? You have the words of eternal life. I've come to know that you are the Son of God, that you are the Christ. And this is what we believe, that these words are the words of eternal life. They bring us closer to Jesus and, and help us live eternally with Jesus. So that's clear. Biblical authority is our first value. The second one is transformational discipleship. Discipleship is the ongoing process of becoming more like Christ. A disciple actively imitates both the life and the teachings of Jesus. It is the unique job of the church to make and equip disciples. In fact, that's our only job. It's, that's why we say it's the unique job of the church. This is our job, is to raise up new Christ followers, people to help people look, and fo- look like Jesus and follow Jesus. That's our job as Christians. The next value is this, love God and others. When Jesus was asked what the most important thing in the Bible was, his response was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It's our strong conviction that the way we love God is by honoring others and by loving other people well. And that's the way we show God's love through us. And so that's one of the strong core values of the church. And we hope that like, even if in a, in a hundred years, somebody were to, I, I've been using this analogy, if somebody were to dig up a core sample of REC, you know, they do that drilling operation. They're like, oh, what was REC all about in, the, in those days? They would see that there was like, oh, they're biblical authority people. They, they're a people who, who um, disciple others and raise them up in the faith. There are people who love God and others. And then the next one is this, share the good news of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is too good to keep to ourselves. We are compelled to share the good news of Jesus with others. 
to invite them into relationship with Jesus. We talked about how our life is to be lived as an invitation to Jesus, and that we're actually supposed to call others to follow Jesus, to find and follow Jesus, and that you were built by God as a light, as a representative to show other people what Jesus is like, and that we call other people to that relationship. And today, the, the last of our core values, and we, we think these core values cover a lot of things, and there's certainly other things that were like on the table for contenders of core values, but all these things we could just literally put in these categories of under these core values, is rely on the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. We believe that the Holy Spirit is God's gift to all who put their faith in Christ. We can daily rely on the Spirit through a life of prayerful obedience. So we believe that we're not alone. We believe that when Jesus died and rose again, he ascended to heaven, and then 50 days later at Pentecost, sent the Holy Spirit to the church. And that all those people who put their faith since then have come to receive the Spirit the Spirit of God, dwelling in them and living in them. So this is the last of our core values. So I want to talk about what this means today and why this is so important. And I, I think that what does it mean as a church to rely on the Holy Spirit? It means that we don't have all the answers all the time. It means a few months ago, here's a great example. A few months ago, we were staring, we talked a little bit about this last week and, or a couple weeks ago. We had a financial shortfall, so we talked to the church about it. We prayed about it. And, you know, by the grace of God, that has really diminished. And we're going to end the year in, in we're still going to be a little bit negative, but we're still, we're ending the year in a lot better position than we would have a couple months ago. Because we started praying about this and relying on God, saying, okay, God, this is your church. We, we need you to do this. We hope, like this. we hope we are like this all the time. But in those times where there's a shortfall, where it's difficult, we just said, okay, God, we're, this is your church. We trust you. We rely on your spirit here. We rely on you. And that gap has significantly shrunk. Amen. That's incredible. Amen. Yeah. It means that you don't go at it alone in this world. It means that if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't go at it alone. That Jesus is with you. That he's with you through his spirit. So first we have to establish something. It's in your notes that the spirit of God is, or the Holy Spirit is God's gift to all who believes. I'm not sure if I said that right in the notes, but it's in your notes. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is, is a gift given to everyone who believes. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says this. And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who were God's possession to the praise of his glory. When Paul is talking about this to the church in Ephesus, he says that, that as a believer, you were marked with the Spirit. And that you're promised this Spirit of God. That, that God wants to give you Himself. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. When you say yes to Jesus and that you surrender your life to Him, that He actually wants to give Himself to you so that you're not going at life alone. 
Because going through life alone with your own mind and your own reasoning and your own abilities, like you might be a smart person, you might be a great dude or whatever, you know, you might be great, but going at it alone is hard. We don't make the right decisions all the time. Amen? And we make terrible decisions a lot of the times alone. In isolation, we make terrible decisions. Pastor Evan and I were at a theological like symposium this week in Seattle, and one of the lecturers that spoke said that the cross is the death of isolation. And I just was like, whoa. I think all of us were like, whoa, that is so true. That when Jesus died on the cross, he also killed isolation because he's sending his own spirit to us. He's sending his own life to us. That God doesn't want you to go at life alone, that God wants to be with you personally. And the Spirit of God is not static. The Spirit of God, when it dwells in each of us, helps us to walk in step with God's desires for our life. And a lot of times, like if you're here and you're a Christian and you've said yes to Jesus, but you still feel like everything is out of alignment, everything is out of step in your life, it's because the Holy Spirit has like a life for you. God has a life for you that he wants, but you still want your own desires, you want your own things, and, and a lot of times it goes out of alignment with what God wants for your life. And so it becomes very difficult, right? It's sort of like when you're growing up and your parents are like, hey, um, this is the way life has got to be. You know, you, you got to live within these rules of this house and all that stuff. And, and you decide, I ain't doing that because I'm a teenager and I know everything, right? Life gets difficult for you. It just does. It's the natural order of things. So how do we change? How do we as people change? How do we as people go from like greed to generosity, how do we as a people go from pride to humility? How do we as a people go from rage to peace? Like, how do we do this? How do we change? How do we align ourselves with God's will for our life? And the way is to rely on the Holy Spirit. So when God talks about changing in Scripture, when he talks about it in the Bible, here's what, here's what he says. The Apostle Paul writes one of the most important passages in the Bible about change in the Christian life. And it's found in Galatians 5, 16 through 23. And as we look at it, it says that um, Paul invites us to walk by the Spirit. So let's look at this passage, five, Galatians 5, 16 through 23. It says this, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you, you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, fractions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So when Paul spoke of this conflict, 
He spoke of the conflict that's between our human flesh, our, our wants and desires, and the Spirit of God. He was not talking about like, when he says the flesh, he's, he's not saying like your body is corrupt. Corrupt. He's just saying our desires, what it is we desire is corrupt. The flesh is Paul's shorthand way for saying that we have a self-centered outlook. That's what the flesh is. That's his shorthand way of saying that. And you'll find it all through the book of Romans. You'll find it, in, it's very common in Paul's writings in the Bible. He talks about the flesh. And whenever he talks about this, he's saying, your wants for your life, your wants and desires, not God's wants and desires for your life. It's the life that depends on me alone. That's the flesh. It's the life that depends on my strength, my purposes, my self-sufficiency. That's the flesh. Paul knew that we all learn to live this way. We do. We all, as humans, we all learn to live in the flesh in some way or another. We all learn this, that we want to be part of the flesh. So he included this list of examples in Galatians 5 of what the acts of the flesh are. And now, as I read this today, hopefully none of you have been involved in witchcraft or orgies lately, but that's definitely in the text, right? Um, and that's in the text because in the first century, that was a huge problem, right? Like that, that, it was a huge problem in Ephesus in the first century. And so you might look at this list and go, oh yeah, I haven't been involved in witchcraft, I'm good. Orgies, never done that, totally good. So don't worry, oh, I just heard my daughter say, what? I'm gonna have to explain this later. <laughs> oh my goodness, forgot youth were in church today. <laughs> Relying on the Holy Spirit. Keep moving forward. <laughs> My face glows beet red. <laughs> what Paul is saying is that the words. The <laughs> well, all right, let's keep moving. What Paul is saying is that the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit are completely different from each other. And that what God wants to do in our lives, all right, keep it together. Keep it together. Um, all right, let me, let me start here. The point isn't the list. The point is to move away from the specifics of the list. The point is not like, oh, have I done this? Have I done that? Okay, I'm living in the flesh. Or, oh, do I, peace, pay, pay, do I have peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, forbearance, self-control? Do I have all that? Okay, good, I'm in the Spirit. The point is not for you to populate a list in your mind and check it off and say, okay, I'm living by the Spirit. I'm doing great. That's not the point. The point is to say, what, you know, how do we change here? The point is to say, am I living following Jesus or not? Am I living in such a way where I um, am not trying to gratify my own personal desires? Paul's list of the flesh are kind of broken down into these two categories. One is control and the other is pleasure. So Paul's list is like, am I trying to control things for myself or am I trying to find pleasure for myself? That's living by the flesh. That's literally the two categories of his list here. So essentially, Paul's list is, list is not exhaustive. 
But if you're here and you're like, I've got to live, I'm in control of life. Or I've got these desires and these desires need to be met all the time. Then you're living by the flesh and not by the Spirit. This is what Paul's point is. It's not necessarily the list. It's sort of the, the big idea around these lists. That we're, we live this way all the time. We are in need of transformation. We are in need of change. We are in need of a way of life that's not determined on our own strength and abilities. We need to learn to walk by the Spirit and to live in the Spirit and to walk in an unbroken reliance on the Spirit and so that the Spirit in, of God can do what He has come to do in our lives. In fact, the next fill in the blank is this. To walk by the Spirit is to learn to live in dependence on His strength, not our own. It's, depend, it's to learn to live in dependence on His strength and not our own. To say it another way, we are a people who are depending to live on a power that is not our own, and that power is God's power. It's learning to live each and every day to say to him, Holy Spirit, I am weak, you are strong, be strong in me. It's learning to go before God and say, Lord, I can't do it today without you. I don't care if you're a CEO, I don't care if you've like got life figured out and life's going great for you. Or if life is like today is the worst day of your life, is coming before God and saying, Lord, I am weak. You are strong. I need you to be my strength. That's what it means to rely on the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul was talking about his own life at one point in the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at this in a second. And he said that he had a thorn in the flesh. Something that kept him from being conceited. This is what he talked about. And it's actually a strange passage because his, he compares his thorn in the flesh as a messenger to Satan. And that's, again, a different sermon for a different day. And we don't know exactly what he's talking about. But many have theorized what Paul's thorn in the flesh could be. But what really matters is that Paul considered himself to have a thorn in the flesh. And you think about this. If I, I had a bee sting the other day um, on my forehead. And it was from when I was riding my bike, it, the bee got stuck in my helmet, and it, it stung me on the forehead. I took my helmet off, all that stuff, and I'm trying to get the stinger out, couldn't do it. Still did the ride, which was after that. So like three hours later, I'm like trying to get this stinger out, and it's just stuck. It's just in there. And you know when you get like a sliver, and every day you're like, I know that's still in there. I feel it shouldn't be in there. And that's how it was. It was like, ugh. Every moment of every day, I'm like, that stupid stinger is still in there. And I got, the thing's got to come out. And so finally, one day it came out after I kind of like dug a big enough hole in my forehead with like tweezers, you know, and I like ruined myself even more. But that, that's like the idea of the thorn in the flesh. It's like this thing that's part of your life that is foreign, that shouldn't be there. You don't want it there, but it's there. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take, away, take it away from me, the thorn in the flesh. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. This is what Paul's speaking now. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. Is that a worldly value, by the way? 
No. I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because when you're weak, you can rely on the Holy Spirit. And isn't it true that when you feel really strong, you forget to rely on the Holy Spirit? It is true. It is true. You're like, I'm killing it at life right now. And you feel like you could go it alone. And then guess what happens? That's why the Bible says pride comes before the fall. Because you're feeling really great. It's like, I am just killing it at life, doing great, and then crash and burn. This is why Paul is telling the church, look, I struggle. You don't think I struggle, but I struggle. I haven't made it. Yeah, I might be Apostle Paul, but I haven't made it. I'm not like the greatest. I'm weak. I need God. I need the Spirit. I need to rely on God's Holy Spirit. So what I do is I go before God and say, God, I'm weak. I need you to be strong in me. Maybe for some of you, you need to write that down. That, and that needs to be your prayer every morning. God, where I'm weak, I need you to be strong. God, I am weak every day. Just I'm weak. Be strong in me. I need you. I need to rely on you. And I want to talk for a few minutes about what the role of the Spirit is in our lives. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? So let's get into this. The next one is this. The Spirit of God is the way that God reveals knowledge to us today. Right? Reveals knowledge. Now, it's not that, and I've had this happen. I've been in a lot of church circles. I've been... Um, I've spoken in a lot of churches, been in a lot of church circles, and I've had people come up to me and say, I have a word of knowledge for you, and I'm always really respectful for that because I do believe that that works. And some people have said some things to me, like I'll give you this, uh, a couple, when I very first started as a senior pastor, there were a lot of landmines, and there was a lot of golden calves. And um, a guy came into my office and said, I was praying, and I feel like this is just for you. And I was blown away by what he said. He said, I got a vision of you walking through the hallway out here like this. It's like you knew where the landmines were, and you were just sort of like walking around. And he was doing this in my office. It was really weird. He's like, you know, you're doing this. And, And he said, that's not you taking steps. That's God guiding your path, so trust it. And it was like the the encouragement and the confidence that I needed to keep pastoring and and to keep doing well there because it was difficult. So I was like, Lord, thank you for this guy. I had another guy come up to me randomly at a conference that I had just spoken at, and it was like, you are going to do this and this and this and this, and, and I, I, the 12 thrones and the book of Revelation, you're one of the guys who sits on those thrones. I was like, dude, you're, you're smoking crack. Like, you know, <laughs> I, like, this, God also gives you discernment. The Spirit of God also gives you discernment. But the Spirit of God reveals knowledge. John 16, 15. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said to you, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is Jesus talking. Jesus says, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So sometimes when the Spirit gives you something and you feel convicted about it, what Jesus says in the Gospel of John is that that is Jesus speaking to you. Through his spirit. Some of you felt like, oh, I just need to, I'm convicted. I need to go do this right now. That's the spirit. 
It's not necessarily knowledge that, like, you know, um, you know, like some students here today, you're like writing this down. The Spirit of God is the way that God reveals knowledge to us today. You're like, oh, this is awesome. I got a math test coming up. You know, that, that's not what we're talking about. Like, shoot, God won't be used as a tool, you know. Go study for math. <laughs> it's important. But when we learn to embrace our weaknesses is when we learn to hear from God. Sometimes it's when I'm at the end of my rope that I hear from the Lord. It's almost like God is saying, oh good, you're done with your own solutions. Now let's listen to mine. I do that, I mean, as a pastor, I do this too. I'm like, let's, let's come up with 15 solutions to this problem. And sometimes we run through all the solutions and you're like, nope, none of those worked. And God's almost like standing in the background smiling, laughing, like, okay, you ready for my answer now? I'm like, okay, yes, Lord, yeah, I'm a pastor. I should know this by now. Yeah. How can, we, how can the Holy Spirit provide answers if I have them all? <laughs> Here's some more functions of the Holy Spirit. And this is the next filling. The Spirit of God is our advocate that reminds us of Jesus' words and that give us knowledge. So it's, again, it's not totally about knowledge here, but this is found in, in John 14, 26. He says, I'm going to send an advocate, that, that he's going to be your advocate for the Father and I'm to remind you of the words that I've spoken. This is what Jesus said. I'm going to remind you of the words that I've spoken. So sometimes you're in certain situations and something comes up and you think of a Bible verse. That's the Holy Spirit doing this for you. That's the Holy Spirit. And it's like also why it's important to like read your Bibles and to put our very first core value into practice in your life. Because as you read scripture, as you read the Bible, it gets deeply within you. And it's like the spirit that's like reminding of the deep recesses in your brain, the, the, the verse that you need for that day. It's the spirit that's personally present with you. Next is this. The spirit convicts the world about sin. That's John 16, eight, John 16, 8. And I'm not going to take the time to read it at the moment, but I put the address in there for you so you can look it up that the Spirit convicts the world of sin. So sometimes you're in a place of life, you're in a situation, maybe at work, and you're like, oh, that wasn't right. Oh, what I said to that person is not right. Or that deep feeling of like, ooh, I got to go make that right. Guess who that is? That's the Holy Spirit working in you to, to help you understand to go make things good, good relationships. He, he wants righteousness for you, which is right relationships. Like this is what God wants for you. And this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit of God makes us new. I'm not sure if I made that a fill-in, but the Spirit of God makes us new. Romans 8, 10 through 11 says, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead is also alive in you in your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So the spirit of God makes you new, gives life to your mortal bodies. Um, and then the next, like, how do we put this all into practice in our life? How do we do this? And we're going to suggest to you that it's through prayer. It's through prayer that this happens. Prayer is God's design and God's tool for you to rely on the Spirit. And some of you might be thinking like, well, how do I pray throughout the day? It's like, I can't get on my knees and do it. No, just like wherever you're at. Like whenever I'm on the, you guys know I ride my bike a lot. Whenever I'm on my bike, it's like, okay, prayer time. When, when, if like I'm driving a long distance, it's like, okay, it's prayer time. 
If I'm, you know, wake up in the morning and just, okay, Lord, I need you. You know, it could be prayer time anywhere. It could be prayer time right now for you, right now. And, and Jesus gives us a pretty good skeleton of how we should pray in Matthew uh, 6, 9 through 13. This isn't, I mean, if you don't have anything else better to pray, pray this. But this is the great skeleton of how to pray. And I'm going to go over this, and then we're going to hear from somebody on this in a second. So Matthew 6, 19, this is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. And I'm going to interrupt myself, actually, in, through this passage, because I, I want you to hear some of the great things in this. And I already explained some of this in the Sermon on the Mount series, but I feel like it's worthy of re-explanation. That word heaven right there is plural in the Greek. It is never singular. There is not a singular form of this word in the Greek. So in the Greek text, what, this, what Jesus actually said is our Father in the heavens. I've got a Greek Bible in my office. You can go look it up if you want. I'll show it to you. And the reason why that's important is because what the Greek mindset and the early Jewish mindset envisioned of heavens is that is three areas. It's the ground beneath your feet, it's the air that you breathe, and it's the space above you. That's what the heavens were. So in an American 21st century mindset, the heavens is way off. Like, you know, we're, we've got a cosmology of like trillions of light years away. Like that's our cosmology right now. But in Jesus's cosmology, the heavens were like closer than the air that you breathe. Okay? So when Jesus says, our Father in the heavens, what he's saying is, God who is so near to us that you're closer than the air that I breathe. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's not envisioning a deistic God who created the universe and ran out. He knows God is a personal God who is right here among us. So our Father in the heavens, hallowed be your name. So it's just praise the name of the Lord the first thing about prayer is giving God glory and thanks and blessing his name and saying, God, you are good. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So what you're saying here is, Lord, it's not about what I want, it's, what about, it's about what you want. Don't build my kingdom, let's build your kingdom. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. So Lord, provide for us. We need your provision Forgive us our debts. This is what we need all the time. God, I probably sinned yesterday, probably sinned today. I, I need, I don't, even though I might not be aware of it, I need your forgiveness in my life as we have forgiven our debtors. It's a reminder that we have to forgive others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Recognizing that there is another power at work that's leading us into temptation. And saying, Jesus, we need you to be the strength of our life, their daily, our daily survival, so that we're not led into temptation. This is how you could daily rely on the Spirit, through prayer. I want to invite up my friend Rod to you. Uh, and Rod plays the keyboard uh, here. Rod's going to come on up. And one of the reasons is um, we've prayed for Rod a lot, uh, a few times at least. I feel like Rod, like, all, very casually would be like, oh, I'm going to the hospital, near-death experienced. And he's like, oh, but the Lord's got this. I'm going to be fine. And I'm like, Rod, you have some special sauce or something. So I, <laughs> I just wanted you to hear from Rod this morning. Thank you very much. I actually uh, prepared uh, like a testimony that started to grow. And one thing I decided... I am not going to get up here and cry in front of anybody. Well, and that's still my goal. 
But uh, first thing I want to do is emphasize I am not trying to teach anybody how to pray. I'm not telling you that I'm a good prayer, that I have a robust, vital prayer life. That's what I work on. I work on it all the time. And that's what, I think that's why God wants me here right now, is for you, you to assess your own prayer life. For you to think about your, how you pray. Is the Holy Spirit involved to the extent that the Holy Spirit has to be involved? That kind of thing. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to calm down here and tell you uh, a little bit about my, my prayer life. And there will be parts of it you say, boy, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Oh, but now that might not be a bad idea. So, so here we go. Uh, I start early in the morning. I take, a ten, I take 10 seconds. I kneel by the bed and I ask God, let me glorify you today, period. I, I feel like that's how he wants me to start today. And then there are so many uh, tools available to help us pray. It's really unbelievable. Uh, Sean Booth, a couple of years ago, had a handout and discussed 16 reasons why we should pray. Uh, there, I, I read Our Daily Bread every day. The one yesterday talked about praying. That was the subject. And it, was, it talked about uh, the same verses uh, that you referred to about in that prayer. I, I stole it for my sermon. Yeah. No, I'm oh, joking. Yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> no. But um, anyway, the, the um, but, and I, I attend a Bible study on Thursday nights, and uh, Jim DiGregorio sitting in the back row. I go to Jim's house, Mary's house, so do several people, and we, uh, we talk about uh, different things. We just finished Ephesians chapter 6, and the last note I made on Thursday night was pray in the Spirit at all times. Pray in the Spirit. So let, let the Spirit guide what you're praying. But at the same time, I think Jesus, some people say he was a carpenter. Well, his father was a carpenter, so he understood tools, and I believe there's nothing wrong with using tools to help us do things, including pray. So our daily bread, there are many books about prayer, and I'm just going to talk briefly, probably longer than I should, about two tools that have really been helpful to me. One, uh, the physician Luke uh, wrote the book of Acts, ACTS, when he wrote it, it was not an acronym, it was the Acts of the Apostles. But, uh, and many of you know this, but you've seen where you can form your prayers, you can arrange them using Acts. A is adoration. C is confession. The T is thanksgiving. S is supplication. That's when you pray for things. And I'm just going to tell you, again, I keep telling you I'm going to be brief, and then I go on and on. Okay. <laughs> My, and so I, I use that format. Uh, it has helped me. And the Holy Spirit tells me when I'm doing something wrong. Uh, adoration. You start by saying, I recognize that you are God. I respect you. I fear you. I love you. And I have to sometimes then confess that I spend too much of my time fearing God. Look what he's done for me and you. But I don't think he, he wants fear just as a start. But the real thing is love. Okay, then 
That's the A, adoration. C is confession. And so people say, oh, Rod, you're an old man. What could you possibly? I haven't been to some of the things that he was talking about. <laughs> uh, and so I, I, I'm not, so I don't have to confess that. But you'd be surprised how much you have to confess. I, things I confess, I confess when I'm prideful, and I can, have, I can be very prideful. Someone tells me, oh, wow, that was really good. You did this or you did that. Oh, I start to feel pride. One is that I don't have enough faith. I'm a big worrier. I worry about a lot of things. Well, the more I worry, that's just showing less and less faith. I ask God, I confess, I'm trying to have more faith, less worry. I've even written a paper on the subject of worry and what the Bible says about worry. I, I have participated in gossip. Next thing you know, you'll be with someone and they're talking about someone else. Well, I'll chime right in. <laughs> that's wrong. I mean, that is not biblical. Uh, that, that is, that's wrong. I don't share. I'll have an opportunity to share with somebody. I go to Starbucks on a fairly regular basis. And I'll have an opportunity to maybe witness to somebody, and I don't. Well, that's wrong. The T is Thanksgiving. And I'm going to tell you just a little bit about the Thanksgiving part of the prayer, A-C-T-S. Well, the Thanksgiving, I start with my sons. I could, <laughs> I could go on and on. I, I thank God for my two sons, and I immediately thank him for their salvation. They have, they're saved. The two happiest days of my life, I think, was what I went to their, uh, when, when they were baptized. Not at, not at this church, at another church, and in the American River. One in one place, one in the other. Boy, it's the happiest. I, I thank God every single day for those two days. Uh, I thank God for my family. And I don't want to compete with anybody, but I think I have the best family in the world. <laughs> I, I really do. I, it's just unbelievable how much my family, and I mean from my grandmother who was born in 1882, she'd be 141 this week. And she, she knew the Bible. She, things flowed down from her that affected our family. I'm th thankful for that. I'm thankful for my grandchildren, my two sons, and friends. And I think when I encourage you to sit down and assess your own prayer life, and you think, well, what should I be thankful for? It's easy to kind of overlook things. Do not overlook your friends. God put your friends in your life for a specific reason. And be thankful for, for them. The, uh, anyway, uh, the last thing I'll mention on, on that is uh, I thank God for my health. And I could talk for a long, long time and really get boring about uh, my health history. I'm, se I'm 76. I go on walks, and my prayer is about a 30, my walk is about a 33-minute prayer. And a big part of it, I look up, and I say, thank you, God, for my health. Well, I've had a lot of things wrong. But when I was six years old, I was diagnosed with something. It was supposed to be terminal. And I was in bed for two years, first grade, second grade. And now I couldn't walk. I had every meal in bed. I couldn't walk. I walked up here. I, I, you saw me very cleverly come up those steps. 
Uh, and so I think, thank you guys. So I'm, I know I'm here for a reason. My, part of the reason I think I'm here right now is to talk to you, to maybe give you something that you can do, just encourage you to focus on your prayer life and help your individual prayer life. And I don't, I mean you as individuals, some of you that I don't know. Now I'm taking, okay, but I'm going to go real quick to the last part of Acts, the S. Well, when it comes to supplication, I, I pray for people, and I thoroughly, I, I feel like I am with the Holy Spirit. He is on my walk with me. I pray for, I think there are 14 people in here, by name, I pray for every day. And, and that doesn't count your children and your grandchildren, and some of those I name. And I, I made a list. I wrote it down, I thought, I don't need the list. I pray by group. I know when I get to this person, I'm praying for that person and that person. And the Holy Spirit, if there's nothing to pray for, the Holy Spirit, he knows exactly what the prayer is for, even if I don't. When someone gives me something very specific, I can be very specific in the prayer. But, uh, so I, I pray for people, and the list is it's really hard for me to take someone off the list. I pray for a few people that you have told me about, someone in here has told me about, that I've never met. And I'm, I'm going to keep praying because I know that person needs prayer. And so, uh, but when I pray for people, okay, the, the two tools that I wanted to talk about, ACTS, that's a format for prayer. But the other one is, you've heard the, a lot of you, maybe most of you, know about the five-finger prayer. That's where you hold your hands up like you're praying. The thumb represents the people closest to you. Those are the people you pray for first. I'll speed this up, because I, I think Pastor Dave is, he, he's getting ready to take the mic. I, I just uh, want to know what finger am I? Okay. The, uh, <laughs> the, the little finger, when you hold your hands up to pray, the little finger, well, that's me. I'm supposed to pray for me last. And I know I didn't do that for years, but about 35 years ago, I came across that and I thought, wow. The Bible has so much bad about pride. It has so much good about being humble. And so if when I'm praying, am I going to make me first? Well, that, that's wrong. If I do that, I better go back to the sea and confess that again. And so when we pray, I, I pray for me last, and it is, I feel like I, I'm not doing anything wrong. He, he wants to hear that prayer. Anyway, I'm, the, at the end of my walk, a lot of times, I'm basically done. I've prayed for dozens of people that I feel really good about, and I'm not trying, I don't, the Holy Spirit helps me remember exactly who they are, in what order, everything is remarkable. And then at the very end, uh, I try to listen. The last part of my walk, God, what do you want to talk to me about? I, I really do try to listen, and I'll confess, I have to go back sometimes and confess this, I wasn't listening closely enough. Uh, or I haven't heard it yet, that kind of thing. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm, I apologize for taking so long. <laughs> but uh, that's, uh, that's fantastic. Anyway, Thank you. I, I hope you get something out of it. Yeah. Well, and 
That's one of the reasons why I want to expose Rod to you is because he actually does have... Uh, Rod, you're going to come right back up here for the, to, for the band because the band, we're going to invite the band to come right now. But because Rod uh, just has this very systemic way of praying. And I wanted you to, to hear about that. So maybe you're here today and uh, you've been relying on you and not the Holy Spirit. And you know it. Like, I, as I'm talking about this, you're like, yeah... It, you know, I'm convicted. The Holy Spirit is convicting me right now. And, and I got to be honest with you, the reason why I share my own weakness in this too is because as a human being, we all have this weakness of relying on the Holy Spirit. It takes years of practice and growth to begin to stop saying, okay, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. So maybe you're here and you just need to confess your weakness before God. Maybe you're here, you want to come up and pray in the altar and just confess your own weakness before God. Maybe you're here today and you need to lay down your desire for control, your desire for pleasure. Maybe you need to confess to God that you're a little bit more fleshy than you want to be. Maybe that's you. And you just simply need to say, Holy Spirit, I need you in my life and I need to learn to rely on you more. Help me to learn to rely on you more. We want to put our core values into practice, not just as the organization of the church, but in your lives. That's where it comes to practice. That's where it comes out. That's where it plays out is your lives. So right now, as we're preparing for worship, I just want to give you this moment to say, Lord, I need you. I need to rely on you. Here's my weaknesses, God. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We need your spirit. God, for we're weak. We're people that are just full of flesh and we want have our own desires. We have our own things about us, but we, God, we need your spirit to guide us and to lead us in everyday life. Lord, we need you. We love you. Help our church to come to rely on the personal presence of your spirit in our lives day in and day out. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church podcast with Pastor Dave Johnson. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that God has touched your heart through today's message from Pastor Dave. Please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information about the ministries of RAC, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. See the links in the description.